Welcome to the Tell Us Something Podcast. I'm Mark Moss. In today's podcast episode, Bonnie Bishop talks about what it was like to be the first person in Tell Us Something history to share her story in a live-streamed setting. We talk about the pandemic, about collective grief, and about what it means to begin returning to life beyond quarantine. Um, this lack of acknowledgement of what is and this fear of not having normal um, that is tearing our country apart right now. And I just wish there was more vulnerability. Um, there is some, definitely, and there are some people trying to use their platforms and trying to have hard conversations with family members and friends, but I wish there was more of that. After our conversation, you can hear the story as Bonnie shared it live on the Tell Us Something live stream stage. Thank you for joining me as I take you behind the scenes at Tell Us Something to meet the storytellers behind the stories. In each episode, I sit down with the Tell Us Something Storyteller alumni. We chat about what they've been up to lately and about their experience sharing their story live on stage or, in this case, live from her house. Sometimes we get extra details about their story and we always get to know them a little better. Our conversation was recorded on August 6th, 2020. Thanks for listening. Hello. Bonnie Bishop, it's Mark Moss calling. Mark Moss, how's it going? I'm going, I'm doing okay. How are you doing? I'm doing okay too. I just um, stepped outside and it's lovely outside. Um, I'm taking my new puppy on a walk, if that's okay. <laughs> that's fine. So if you hear me yelling like no, I'm not yelling no at you or sit or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> I just listened to your story about 10 minutes ago again, and (laughs) it's, you did such a great job uh, of setting the scene and drawing the listener in at the beginning. Um, anyway, yeah, it was, it was, I'm just, I was laughing, uh, especially at the ending, which I'm not going to give away, but yeah, yeah, good. I'm so glad you were a good coach, Mark. Like I love, I love that workshop. And you did another one recently? Did I read that right? Yeah, we're in the middle of one right now. It's uh we're because people are things are open right now. Um Yeah. I've spread it out over the course of 5 weeks instead of doing 5 consecutive days. Okay. Yeah, I miss the I mean, I know we all miss all the live things. Um are you doing okay with like not having them live, I'm sure that's such a bummer, just knowing how different it is in person. I mean, emotionally, I'm a little bit wrecked about it. I'm curious, like, what was it like? You've been to the live shows. Yeah, oh yeah. What was it like? What was it like to tell a story with no visible audience response, but knowing that there are 800 people watching? Yeah, right. Um, thankfully I didn't know there were 800 people watching. Had I had that information, (laughs) I probably would have been a little more strange, um, when I was, uh, telling my story, but I, I loved it because it was this whole, like, because I could just see myself and it was this whole, like, I didn't know if we were live. I didn't know if the technology was working and it was just like this big act of faith, like, and it was a full send kind of moment, you know, like 
you can't hesitate with something like that. So I just love that because I don't experience those moments very often. And so I appreciated that, that it was this like, you know what, you got to go all in and you got to have faith that technology is working. And then if it's not working, that someone will tell you that and that, you know, you don't look as weird as you think you might look and it doesn't even matter. So I liked it. The whole experience, like, I went into it with curiosity and a giggle and it all worked out great. I had a lot of fun. You went into the workshop with curiosity and a giggle or like agreeing to tell a story with that attitude? All of it. Oh, all of it. All of it. Especially when you asked me to tell a story, I was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> Applied learning. It's on. That that group, your group, your whole group was such a wonderful bond, bonded group. Yeah, it's it's funny. I like picked up cherries from Carmen the other day because like she has a lot of cherries, and um, I didn't get to see her, but she like left them on her porch for me, and she's so sweet. Yeah, it was great. It was awesome. Anna and I talk on social media sometimes. Um, yeah, it was great. That's great. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> what was it like as far as the being in the green room? Like, how did that? Did where that where you got? I I mean, I, you're the first person I've talked to about the whole experience. Actually. Oh yeah, yeah. So in the green room, I think, and I think, I can't remember if we like debriefed about this or talked about this, but when I went, you had already done my introduction, and I didn't know that, and so. Oh. It was it was funny. It was good being in the green room because we were kind of like, you know, here's what to expect. And people were having their, like, last-minute jitters. And um, every time someone said something that they were nervous about or, like, something negative about themselves, like, the whole group just, like, fiercely shut it down, um, <laughs> which, was, which was really cool. And everyone was excited and smiling, I think, pretty much the whole time. At least when I was That's in awesome. there. Um, yeah. And they were like, what are we doing? What are we doing? This is crazy. Oh, no, my story's not good. And everyone's like ferociously being like, your story's amazing. You're amazing. This is amazing. So it was, it was like, it was a very bonded, supportive green room. Even though I haven't yeah. been in many green rooms, but it was a pretty solid one, I think. <laughs> Well, gosh, if I could have, I would have like, put Maker's Mark in all, on all, all of your porches, you know, ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So for the green room, all I did was create a breakout room and all of the storytellers joined it. The main meeting room is the room that was live streamed and storytellers left the breakout room when it was their turn to share their story. I had to remember to place them back in the green room when they finished sharing their story. I think that, um, you know, that was the first time I ever did that. And I think now with my new knowledge of Zoom, I could make every single storyteller a co-host. You could dip in and out of the green room because I think after you were done, you just left the meeting, right? And watched it online. Yeah, I did, I did do that. And then I rejoined on my phone or something like uh -huh. that because I didn't know when I clicked out that I would leave everything. Right. So then I got back in on my cell phone and then was watching it with my family in Virginia. Yeah, there were all types of devices. I feel like I legitimately had like four different 
technological right. devices out. Oh, God. Joyce was upstairs on one computer. I was downstairs and she was like texting me, you know, in between stories or during, you know, during the stories. I, it was nuts. And, you know, we learned a ton. And I'm so grateful for that experience. One of the things that I learned was that I can have multiple co hosts to a meeting. Mm-hmm. They'll be co hosts too. And so they can enter and leave the green room of their own volition. So you won't have to drop off the meeting. You can just go back into the green room or I'm, I think I'm going to call it backstage. Mm-hmm. And, and then you'll be able to watch, you know, on your device independently or, you know, whatever you want to do, just hang out. I'm excited about the next show and I'm so excited that the interpreters are on board. Yeah. Wow. Cool. And it's getting... Is sub? I mean, is getting subtitles way too difficult with Zoom? Do Zoom even have that? Zoom supports it. Um, it was on the fly that I was trying to figure out how to do it, um, and so the, there are th- two ways to do it. One is to pay a third party to take care of it. Yeah, and it's like a a dollar a minute or something like that. And, or it might even be more than that, but, but I, I like dropped the ball on trying to get that lined out and it takes like three weeks for them to figure out, you know, what your contract is going to look like and what your needs are. And you have to set up a meeting or, or at least that's what it was at the time. And I was like, you know, I don't have, I don't have three weeks. I have two days. And so I got a person that said she could do it on the fly and, it wasn't working. Like we tested it that morning, just the two of us in a meeting and it was working. And then when we did it live, it wasn't working. And I was just like, well, I'm sorry. It was a good thing to learn um, that actually live interpreters are the best thing. But I talked to one of my deaf friends and he was like, dude, what the hell just happened? Why did you, like you said you were going to provide this service and you didn't provide it. And I was like, friend, I am so sorry. Uh, I dropped the ball. I let you down. I know that it won't happen again. Please forgive me. And he was like, okay. I mean, you know, your, your organization is the only one in town that provides ASL interpreters at live events. So I believe you. So don't do that again. I was like, okay. So I called the... American Sign Language Interpreters, when we figured out what the date was for the next show, and I was like, hey, can you do it? Knowing that now that we're doing um, live streamed events, they could say, I can't do it. And I could go across the country and say, hey, I don't know what your rates are in Virginia or whatever, but this is what the rate is in Montana, and this is what I can pay. Can you do this? And, you know, that. Yeah. I would have I would have been able to figure it out if they wouldn't have been available. But thankfully, they are both available. And so we're going to have this event on the 16th of September. And I think it's going to be a blast. Perfect. Oh, yeah. so cool. Great. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Trial and error. Like, just keep showing up and doing the best you can with what you have in that very moment. I mean, I don't know. What else can we do? I think that you, I think your adaptability is awesome. Well, thanks. Yeah. 
yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful that you were a part of it. Like I, I had never met you or heard about you before you'd signed up for the workshop. Yeah. Did you know everybody else? Did you know the rest of the crew? Um, I didn't know Becca. I knew everybody else. Uh, no, I didn't know. I didn't know Katie either. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I had like, I remembered you obviously from the shows, but I remembered the stories um a lot too so yeah it was great getting to know everyone in that process how did you decide that this was the story you were going to tell mm. trying to think of the prompts that you gave i still have them written in my like little journal um during the workshop but i think that you asked a question about an experience um, like a noteworthy experience or something where you like felt your reaction in your body or you um, or encourage us to try to think of a story from that perspective of something that you feel like is seared or imprinted um, that way and I just remember when when Ms. like yelled at me I just remember just I have never felt angry like that and I just remember how searing angry I was and so when you asked that prompt it was like the first thing that popped into my head and then I was like no 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 that's not the story I want to tell like that's not a funny story that's like a strange story that's a little embarrassing or whatever all these little all this little monkey mind came up um but then I was like, that's the perfect story because I can remember everything so vividly and there's so much context leading up to it and it's so messed up and it's so not okay. Um, and it really shaped the way that I stand up to bullshit in my life. So I think it was that cue that you gave. Um, and I'm pretty sure I was having a hard time coming up with a story and then I think you said something along, the, along those lines of think about a memorable experience that you like felt in your body. Um, and that came to mind. I can still feel like how hot my face was and how my like eyes were probably crossing with anger and I was probably <laughs> twitching. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's how I landed on the pants story. Well, I remember, I mean, after I had just listened to it, you described the feeling that you had when you had the confrontation with Miss Mann mm -hmm. so viscerally. Yeah. And yeah, it was, man, you did such a beautiful job of that. I mean, I felt angry for you when I was listening to it. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I reflect on that moment too. And I'm like, you know, my body was just over the bullshit. And I think our bodies know, our bodies tend to know first and then our minds and emotions catch up. I think our bodies evolutionarily and just because they're, you know, the world's most fascinating machine um, and really insightful, intuitive things. I think that they know before we know. And that's probably the biggest example of that in my life, how my body was just like, this is not okay. Don't try to sugarcoat this. Don't you fucking say that you're sorry. No. <laughs> this is worth being angry over. Don't tolerate this. Don't stand for this. 
like, I'm going to make your body hot because you should be mad right now. And I just think that that's fascinating. And a couple other times I've had similar, like, physical responses to situations, and it's just taught me to to trust that, that intuition and trust that my body sometimes knows more than I think that it knows. What's the most interesting thing your body has taught you since then? Hmm. Since then. I think I've really learned, and the outdoors has taught me this too, specifically my body in the outdoors, which is my favorite place to be at any given moment. I think it's taught me that I truly create my experience of this life in my head and that I can be in a physical situation that's uncomfortable or that's amazing or whatever, and then my mind can quickly derail that situation um, for better or for worse or change it. And so I think I've just learned over the years that I create – my experience of whatever external environment, physical thing is going on, I determine the impact of that in my head. And I also tend to overcomplicate things when they really are simple. And our bodies are a very complex thing, but it has pretty simple responses sometimes to pain, you know, to love, to all these different things. So I think that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned is I create, I create my reality and it's empowering because, you know, that means that suffering is always optional. You know, pain is like a physical response, but suffering for it is a mental response to that pain that doesn't always have to be there. Yeah. And I'm still learning that. I'm still learning that in a lot of ways. Pretty sure I'll probably be learning that for the rest of my life. Well, so where should I send where should I send my check for this th- therapy session that we've just had? I feel like <laughs> to my therapist, just... Mark. To my therapist. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I'll give you. Yeah. I'll yeah give you her, her contact information. She's really. I feel like I just sometimes I learned feel like I should tip her. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. you probably could, right? Yeah, I probably could. She would probably say that that was some type of unethical thing but maybe yeah right. I'm like wow lady you deserve a tip for this <laughs> <laughs> can you I, I, I would imagine also that um, your training has helped inform your language around the body's experience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. can you can totally. you for people people who don't know anything about you right now they're going to learn a ton about you uh, when they listen to the story but but uh, for people who don't know what your training is, can you talk about that for a minute? Sure. So I got my undergrad degree in athletic training, which basically focuses on the prevention and then treatment of injuries specifically within the athletic population. So usually found wherever athletes are found, whether that's in a middle school, a high school, college, or pro level. And the route that I took was with occupational athletes, Um, like structural firefighters and police officers. So I learned a lot of anatomy and physiology and different physical response to 
pain and also performance, where you also learn a lot about sports psychology and the body. So it was all very fascinating. And then I just got really fascinated with systems of health because health outcomes are one thing, but unless you change the system that that person is operating in, you're going to have a very minimal effect on health outcomes because you're always going to get the same output unless you address the system. So I came to Missoula to study public health. I loved my experience there. I learned so much about health and also challenged a lot of what I previously thought health was, which I loved that expansion. And yeah, so I've learned a decent amount about the individual body. I've learned a decent amount about our community level and also higher levels of population, like global populations of health, too, and different health phenomena that happen at all those levels. And yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it. Is there an application for, I feel like we're all experiencing this collective trauma around COVID right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there a lesson that you can give us around how to deal with our mental and emotional and physical health? Mm. Yeah, you know, I don't know if I can give a lesson per se, because I feel like such a student always just of myself and my own reactions and to this, you know, Corona coaster, as we called it. Um, but I think with collective trauma, there's this also collective grief response. And what I see right now that is heartbreaking in the United States is just this, this um, obsession with returning to normal and this lack of an acknowledgement to be able to say, I'm not okay. I'm scared. I don't know as much as I should, and I don't want to think about it, so I'm choosing myself. Just like lack of self-awareness and honesty while trying to fit our world into some normality that never existed in the first place is, you know, costing American lives, a lot of them. And I just, I just wonder if this is what this country needed to come together because we have become so divisive. We have, you know, systems, educational systems, healthcare systems, um, everything that is, that is maybe harming just as much as it's helping. And I wonder if COVID is what this collective trauma, this collective grief is the catalyst that we need to find some commonality instead of this like obsession with being normal and wanting normal. Um, you know, it's kind of, I feel like, <laughs> I think about being in middle school and all you want to be is cool. And then you find out that the coolest thing to be is uncool. Um, and it, I kind of feel that way about COVID. Like, all we want is normal. But I would rather we all be honest. Um, you, you know, even if you don't believe in COVID, at least that's honest. Um, and it's also terrifying. But yeah, I feel like that's kind of a ramble. But I see this... Um, this lack of acknowledgement of what is and this fear of not having normal um, that is tearing our country apart right now. And I just wish there was more vulnerability. Um, there is some, definitely, and there are some people trying to use their platforms and trying to have hard conversations with family members and friends, but 
I wish there was more of that because we're not going to get through this and we're not going to come out stronger than this um, from this by acting like anything about this situation is normal. Because it's not. I do want to ask you uh, before we close out, is there anything about your story or the experience of telling your story that we haven't talked about that you want the listeners to hear? Mm. I think that storytelling just might be one of the most potent medicines that we have available to us. I am just in awe of storytelling in that it's how we survived and it's the quickest way to see somebody is to listen to a story that they're telling about anything, whether they're telling it well or not. And it's the quickest way to be heard and honored. And um, it's a beautiful way to hold space for each other. So I think storytelling is the bee's knees. And I think our ancestors are so psyched when we share stories with one another. Um, So give it a go. And listening to stories makes you a better storyteller. So, and I think we could all use a little more listening in our lives. And I think that's it. And thanks for sharing this gift, Mark, like, and providing a platform where people can, you know, come in with curiosity and a giggle. And the next thing you know, be like (laughs) telling a story on Zoom to 800 people that they don't know while they can only only see their face. I mean, that's pretty rad. (laughs) Not not everybody gets to pull that off. So thank you for creating this time and this space um, to honor stories because, yeah, I think our ancestors are jumping up and down about it. Thank you for saying that. I, I always consider myself a conduit. Um, and it's not about me. It's about the storytellers. And your stories exist. And it's just a matter of ex- excavating them and figuring out what they are. Mm-hmm. And empowering people, too. It's a real empowerment piece. That's why, you know, I did that storytelling project in grad school. It's because it was empowering. Um, It's empowering to have someone listen to your story and acknowledge it and not try to change it or tweak it or whatever, but just, yeah, be a conduit, like you're saying. It's just the coolest. Let's do it again sometime. I want to, and and I really would love what, I mean, uh, this is a little bit masturbatory maybe, but I would love to have the people who did a live stream story come and do it on stage in front of people someday. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, wouldn't that be fun? Even though like everybody's already heard these stories before, but let's do it in person. Yeah. I think that would be so fun. That would be so fun. Or like even, uh, uh, even if it was a different story, like, hey, you remember that time there was a global pandemic and we had to, like, <laughs> zoom this stuff? Like, coming at you live with a different right. story. Everybody's got stories now. My gosh, how could yeah. you go through this and not have a story? Oh, my God. I, I took a, um, you know, I wanted to be a student as well, and I took a uh, writing class. And I, I never considered myself a writer, but, I, you know, it was supposed to be with David James Duncan. And no, that that's, that's not true. That's not true. It was supposed to be with David Allen Cates. And 
I know him. He's told a story at Tell Us Something. You can go back and listen to it if you want. It's called Stupid Naked Boy. It's really funny. Um, he makes himself pretty vulnerable and he does some dumb stuff uh, while he's traveling. And so I was like, cool, I can be a student of this guy. This will be great. And then his class filled up. And so they passed it off to Susanna Sonnenberg, who was awesome, who I don't know. You know, I've never met her in real life. And well, I guess in person, I guess. But I was taking it not just to learn, but also to learn how uh, workshops work in this new Zoom reality. Because what you witnessed was me fumbling through it. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to see what a pro does, and they like they're also fumbling through it. It turns out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gosh, aren't we all the year of fumbling? Yeah, yeah. The fumbled year. It was, it was great. It was it was nice to see. Like we're all humble, and we're all just like fucking up and picking it up and keep going. Because what else are you gonna do? Yeah, this is not business as usual. This is not business as usual. This is not normal. Like, sometimes right. I just want to like walk into saying. rooms and say, like, hi, I'm Bonnie. None of this is normal. But I don't walk yeah. into rooms, actually, so I can't even. <laughs> <laughs> right. God. Right. Um, I have two last things that I want to say about Zoom, and I'm curious. I'm going to ask you a question uh, about Zoom. Have you been in any Zoom experiences that have been extremely funny or... Uh, that you've learned a way to make Zoom less painful. Yeah, um, I <laughs> I've been in two that come to mind. One, I you know work at the university and I'm um, manage this program. We use Zoom a lot, and somebody accidentally turned themselves into a potato because they were screwing around with a different setting on the thing, on the Zoom, and they turned themselves into a potato and couldn't unturn themselves. (laughs) And so, like, even when they logged back in, and they were, we were covering, like, a pretty dense, you know, academia, very serious. And so we were covering a pretty dense topic, and this individual was trying so hard to be serious and deliver their thoughts and their reasoning and their justification for it while being a potato. And it just kind of... (laughs) like summed up what's happening in humanity right now. And then the other time, um, I was having, (laughs) this is so, I don't know why this is so funny. I wish you knew this person, then you would also think it's funny. I hang out with a lot of teachers and over the quarantine, like we couldn't hang out. Um, and so we all got together and like people, you know, no one has any etiquette just in general, but especially on Zoom. People are, like, talking over each other all the time and, like, everyone's sharing their screen and, like, my friend was, like, trying to draw something and, like, the other one's, like, playing music and the other person's trying to talk and someone's drinking and, like, my friend just got so irritated because she felt like it was one of her classrooms with no order, so she just, like, blew an air horn <laughs> in the middle of our, like, social gathering Zoom. And then proceeded to, ha- you know, give us, like, a little bit more of a structured get-together. Um, but I just, like, loved that reset of just blasting an air horn over Zoom um, to kind of just neutralize the situation. So, you know, potatoes and air horns, when all else fails, those are some pretty good but, methods to switch it up. The icebreaker. 
that you could use. I mean, you probably lead lots of Zoom meetings. Yeah. It's called Pass the Slap. So it's it's a way to give a virtual high fives. So the way you're, if you've got 50 participants in the room, your layout is going to be different than what my layout looks like mm-hmm. on my screen. And so if you're the host, you know, wherever you are in the room, say you're in the top left, you pass the slap. And that is you pass the slap to the person on your right and you like give them a high five on the camera, but like towards them and then they have to receive it. So you would say like, Bonnie, I'm passing the slap to you. And and I would give you a high five and you would have to receive it and then pass the slap to whoever's on the right of you. And that's a way, and that, that person might not be actually to your left on their screen. And so there's this, all these little weird high fives going on all around the whole thing. And then after, you know, however many minutes you decide to do that and the meeting starts at three o'clock and you decide this is what we're going to do until three Oh three. And everyone, as people are walking into the room, they're going like, what the hell's going on in here? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I like that. Just anything, anything to break up the bullshit. Like, hi, totally. we're, we're human. You remember those times yeah. our hands could touch? Like, right. we're doing the best right. we can here, people. Yep. Uh, yeah, any lightness, anything that can just, I just appreciate it, even if it's, like, weird and a failed attempt when, like, people try to just bring humanity into these inhuman forms. It's yeah. just, yeah, it's all we can do. I'm going to try that one with graduate students at UM. So we'll see how that goes. Well, graduate students at UM are the ones that taught me about it. When I, when I taught the creative pulse this summer. Oh, nice. Okay. We we didn't actually creative pulse was the university of Montana. It was, uh, Karen Kaufman who just retired was the person that headed it up. And John Holmes took over for her is in the creative arts, whatever that college is. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Bonnie Bishop, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Well, I know you were walking your dog and and that seemed to go pretty well. Yeah. It went pretty well because he walks for a minute and then laid down and then he does this when he doesn't want to walk. And then I just pull him through the grass and I look like a terrible, torturous dog owner. So we just went back and he just chewed his bone. So he's good. It's all good. Yeah. Thank you for chatting with me too. It's just, it's always fun talking to you, um, which I so appreciate. And thanks for being a storyteller. Thanks for teaching us that we are also storytellers. Appreciate it. You are. We all are. Bonnie, thank you again. And thank you so much again, Mark. And I'm excited. Well, um, yeah, don't be a stranger and hopefully we'll talk soon and get to meet in person one day. All right. All right. Thanks, Bonnie. Yep. Have a good night. All right. right. Bye. 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 Bonnie Bishop is originally from Northern Virginia and moved to Missoula sight unseen after working a few summers in Yellowstone National Park, where her love for wild things took hold. 
Since then, Bonnie has gotten her master's degree in public and community health from the University of Montana, which has fueled her passion for health equity and social justice. Bonnie values authenticity, laughter, empowerment, courage, and swears by blasting Evervescence in the bathtub as the remedy for any bad day. Bonnie shared her story in front of a live virtual audience on April 28, 2020. The theme that night was No Excuses. Bonnie calls her story greater than my pants. Thanks for listening. All right. When I was in middle school, into high school, definitely in college, and even a little bit now, I've been battling with this condition. And it's pretty common of some of you may also be battling it. It's something I've heard called good girl syndrome. And it's pretty life altering. And it can look like a lot of different things for a lot of different women. But for me, it looked like this overly, overly ambitious, perfectionist, kind of people pleasing gunk. And uh, it's something that I'm in active, active recovery from now, but working on it. Another thing about me is that I'm someone who seems to take the path of most resistance in life. And I think it's really coming from this like innate defiance that seems to be somewhere in me, definitely from a different place than the good girl syndrome. So as you can imagine, having this good girl condition and being an innately defiant, curious person and taking the path of most resistance makes a pretty interesting internal dialogue. This really all came to head when I was in college. So this is my senior year of college. It's my last semester. I'm studying something called athletic training, which is basically injury prevention, assessment and rehab. And I put in thousands of clinical hours. I'm about to sit for my board's exam and it's my last clinical rotation. So what's cool about this is that I finally get to pick where I'm gonna do my rotation. And for any of you that are students, you know that you'll go, you go a long time being like free labor. And so when you finally get a choice, it's pretty exciting. I knew exactly where I wanted to do my final rotation, and it was with public safety police officers. I didn't want to work with traditional athletes. I wanted to work with untraditional athletes. So I didn't want to work with high schoolers or college or professional. I wanted to work with police officers, hence path of most resistance. I also wanted to do this because I heard about the teacher that ran that clinical site. We'll just call her Miss Ma'am because she'll, she would probably like that. Miss Ma'am had a reputation of never giving anyone an A and also of never really liking anyone. So of course, this puts my like good girl syndrome into overdrive. I have to go through a lie detector test. I have to get fingerprinted. I have to um, be interviewed by a cop all just to get to this site. And so I meet Miss Ma'am and I can quickly see how she got her reputation. She does things like she doesn't eat in front of every, anybody because it's a sign of vulnerability or something. Instead of, instead of learning how to assess injuries and rehab them my first week, I learned things like how to situate the Tide Pod in the washing machine perfectly so that when it breaks open, it cleans all the towels in the same way. I also learned that I was constantly being assessed, whether I was being graded or not, she was always grading me. So 
I'm trying to keep up with all this. And one thing I noticed is that Miss Ma'am had this bird feeder outside of the clinic that she would fill up every morning at 6.45, no exceptions. So like the birds could eat, but she couldn't eat. I don't know, but I figured this out. So I started feeding the birds in the morning and I'd, then I'd come into the clinic and start our clinical day. One day in particular, <laughs> I'm packing up my stuff. I finished a day. I, I survived another day with Miss Ma'am, which is like great. And she pulls me aside and she goes, Bonnie, I need to talk to you about something. And uh, I want to do it in private. And I'm like, how did you situate the Tide Pods today? Crap. But she goes, I could have sent you home today. I decided not to. But before you come to the clinic tomorrow, you need to wear a different pair of pants because those are unprofessional. And I'm like, that's the first time I've ever been called unprofessional in my life because, you know, with good girl syndrome, we're all about professionalism, perfectionism, all those things. So I've never heard anything like that. I get this like gross, icky feeling and immediately I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, Miss Ma'am. Uh, yeah, definitely. I'll come back tomorrow with different pants on. Uh, sorry about that. And those words just jumped out of me. I'm sorry seems to be a severe symptom of good girl syndrome. It's almost like this involuntary subconscious, just like vomit that comes out of you. It's almost kind of like a hiccup actually, where you're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, I can't stop, I'm sorry. Anyways, I said it though, I get my backpack and I get out of the clinic and I'm looking down at my pants and I'm like, this is weird. I've worn these pants all the time. I've never been called that before. That's a gross feeling. So I go to my, I go to the university to my clinical director and I'm like, I'm like, hey, is there anything wrong with my outfit? And she's like on the phone looking at me like, Bonnie, I don't get paid enough for this shit. Like, what are you talking about? I'm not here to talk about your outfit. And I was like, well, Miss Ma'am said that it's unprofessional. And she was like, what? Just wear, wear something else then. And then, you know, I asked my mom and my mom is like this corporate boss lady, right? And she always has like two phones. And I'm like, mom, is there anything wrong with my pants? And she's like on her phones and she's like, what? No. So anyways, I decide to go pants shopping because I got to get an A because that's what I do. And I'm really, I've already been feeding the birds. So I got to go, I got to go pants shopping. And I've got this like waist that doesn't fit my butt and butt that doesn't fit my waist. So going pants shopping is like mission impossible always. But I go and I buy three pairs of pants and I know they're professional pants because they have those like bullshit buttons on them. You know, where like nothing actually goes in the pockets. Um, so I'm like, okay, we are good on the professional pants. And I wear them. And so for a few days, me and Miss Ma'am are good in the clinic. She doesn't bring them up. I'm like, great, I never have to experience that again. But one morning, I go into the clinic, I pick up the bird seeds, 6.45 in the morning, go feed the freaking birds, come back. And I'm walking into the clinic holding the bag and I just look up and I stop in my tracks. Miss Ma'am is glaring at me and it looks like steam is coming out of her eyes and her ears and her nose. She is red in the face and pissed. And I'm like, someone has died. Someone has died because that's the only reason that people look at each other like this. So I say, Miss Ma'am, is everything okay? And she goes, she goes off on me. She's like, I don't understand what you're not understanding. You've been pretty professional except for this. I told you about your pants. I've now had three different people come up to me and comment about your pants. And I'm just wondering like, what are you even doing here? Why are you here? Do you have a pair of sweatpants or something that you can put on over that? 
because this is unacceptable. I'm not understanding what you're not understanding. So I'm like kind of like having an out of body experience. It feels like holding this freaking bag of bird seed. And I'm looking down at my pants and I just feel this feeling just cover me like a veil, like it's a thunderstorm, like it's just pouring down on me. My eyes go to the ground. I kind of feel my shoulders cave in. I feel sick to my stomach. Stomach. I just want to disappear. I just feel this shame that I just can't get out of. And I'm looking down. I'm about to say I'm sorry. I'm about to go. Good girl syndrome is just like flaring up everywhere. And all of a sudden I feel this bubbling, this heat just coming up from my toes all the way through my body. And it's absolute freaking rage. I am so pissed in this moment. And so quickly that shift happened. And I felt this bubbling up right here, right at my throat. And it was a moment. I have a decision of the type of woman I want to be in this situation. What the hell am I apologizing for? You're not sorry about anything. And also, hell hath no fury like a woman who has bought three pairs of pants and continues to get crap for it. And I am just so freaking angry. So I make a choice. And I know when I make this choice, I'm not just making one, I'm making a choice for the rest of my life that I'm gonna bubble up, I'm gonna say this. And I go, Miss Ma'am, one quick question. Those three people that made comments about my pants, were they men? And Miss Ma'am changes her whole body language, right? Her hands go up. No, 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 no. No one's looking at your ass. That's not what's happening here. No one's looking at your butt. Okay. No one's doing that. And I was like, well, it seems like that's the case. My pants have nothing to do with my performance in this clinic. I bought three pairs of pants and they're all going to be the same. And if you want to have a bigger conversation about why the men in this setting can't stop staring at my ass, we can. But I hope you come, you come to them with the same intensity that you're coming at me right now. And she goes, okay, all right, we'll talk about it later. Guess what? We never talked about it again. So it's my last week. I made it through. She gave me my final grade, which was an A minus. Okay. Let me let you in on a little secret. People pleasing, it's not worth it. So she gives me this A minus. I know I got that. And we're walking down a hallway and we're kind of shoulder and shoulder. And I start to feel her kind of pulling back a little bit. And it's because on my last day, I wore a pantsuit. Okay. I was not wearing a dress. I wore a pantsuit and for a reason. And I feel her hanging back and she's kind of she's kind of looking at me. And I know that she's about to make another comment again, that she was thinking that maybe she could go there again. And so we made eye contact, woman to woman, and I asked her a question and it meant a lot more than what I said. And I said, Miss Ma'am, did you forget anything? Did you forget something? And she goes, no, we didn't. I'm, I didn't forget anything. And I know we had a whole conversation in that. And that was the last time I saw Miss Ma'am, didn't see her again. So I'm filling out this clinical evaluation, right? You have to do this. You have to do this at every single clinical site that you go to. And it asked, you know, what, it, what did you learn from this clinical experience? So I start writing the right thing. I learned about upper body therapeutic intervention, blah, blah, blah. That's another sign of a good girl syndrome. You always say the right thing, not really the real thing. So I start filling that crap in and I see my hand just erasing involuntarily, just erasing that. And I'm like, I read the question again. What did you learn from this clinical experience? Well, I learned a few things. I learned the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt comes from a behavior. 
And it's helpful. It can be good feedback sometimes. If you screw up, you feel guilt about it. But shame, shame comes from an inner sense of unworthiness. And I learned that I was born worthy. I learned that it's never about the pants. It's never about what the woman's wearing. It's never about what the woman's wearing. I learned that I have just as much unlearning to do in life as I do learning. I didn't learn a damn thing about athletic training, but I learned this. Thankfully, I didn't have a lot of space to write or I would have written all that out. So I just left it at this sentence. What did you learn in this clinical experience? I learned that in life and in practice, you do no harm, but you take no shit. Thank you. Thanks to Casper Junkers who provided the music for the podcast. Find them at casperjunkersband.com. Thank you to our in-kind sponsors, Missoula Broadcasting Company. Learn more at missoulabroadcasting.com. Float Missoula. Learn more at floatmsla.com. Hey, this is Gabe from Gecko Designs. We're proud to sponsor Tell Us Something. Learn more at geckodesigns.com. Hi, it's Joyce from Joyce of Tile. If you need tile work done, give me a shout. I specialize in custom tile installations. Learn more and see some examples of my work at joyceoftile.com. MissoulaEvents.net. Tune in for the next episode when we revisit what looks like will be the only in-person live storytelling event of 2021. With a package on the way, we get on a 30-hour bus ride from Blancabon, Laos to Kunming, China. Talking about kids, about love, about how hard this growth childhood years are. I didn't always want kids, but when I finally decided my clock is ticking, now's the time, my husband and I went ahead and had one, yay, um, and we were delighted. Then I crossed the border because of the war. I come in Rwanda, where I spent 18 years as a refugee. And I just felt this pressure, like it was now or never. March 22nd, and I'm not flying to Phoenix. I had stopped all theater productions, all classes. I had no answers for anyone. Tune in for all of those stories on the next Tell Us Something podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Tell Us Something podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Stay safe, get vaccinated, take care of yourself, and take care of each other.